Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 42 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. Pea Supers, thanks for tuning in. This week, it's part two of my chat with physiotherapist, coach, and author, Anne Parkinson. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioral science in a way that's practical, accessible, and fun to nourish your mind to flourish at work. I would like people to remember that there is no fixing that's needed. Sometimes we need healing, and that's a different thing. And it's important to remember that everything is interconnected. And with a compassionate awareness, exploration, practice and flexible persistence, we can show up in the most helpful way to best serve ourselves and others. So that's the thing I'd like people to remember. And then a quote from the book that I hope it helps nurture is, love, compassion and connection help us create a meaningful and flexible dance through life. We can change the speed and moves from moment to moment in a flexible and compassionate way to help us keep turning towards our values and what's most meaningful, to help others and ourselves live well. In part two of my conversation with Anne, we dive into her book, Dancing Through Life, A Guide to Living Well. We explore the golden thread of compassion that runs through it, chat about the framework and developed to support the reader, and reflect that many people are sitting and working in different environments right now, like the kitchen table or even the bed. Let's go over to the news desk. Reviews are in for part one of my chat with Anne, and I think Shelley Prosco from Canada summed it up beautifully. On Twitter, she said, Wonderful episode. Such a lovely interview. Anne, you are filled with insight, compassion and wisdom. Amen to that. Thanks, Shelley. And thanks so much to everyone who listened and shared. Also, dear listener, you may have heard talk of People's Soup bookmarks. We've had some printed to celebrate the podcast, and they're absolutely free. My dad, Big G, is in charge of UK Dispatch and he's created a bespoke workstation to process your requests. You can see a photo of it in the show notes. We love connecting with people, so if you'd like some, all we need is your postal address. If you do enjoy the podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and review it. Whatever platform you're on, it helps us amplify our voice and reach more people with stuff that could be useful. If there's an episode you particularly like, you can also drop some change into my virtual tip jar over at ko-fi.com slash peoplesoup. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part two of my conversation with Anne Parkinson. So Anne, I'd like to dive in and explore your book with the best title, Dancing Through Life, A Guide to Living Well. And P-Supers, of course, I'll put a link to this book so you can buy it. I read it on Kindle. It worked really well for me. And and firstly, immense respect for writing a book. I think anyone who writes a book deserves enormous applause and adulation, frankly. So what would my review be? I try to encapsulate it, Anne. And what I came up with is, is a comprehensive guide to the ownership of the human body. It's beautifully open, it's vulnerable, and it's highly practical. It brings together threads from many different 
disciplines into a coherent approach and it's full of invitations to practice and as one reviewer said Ruth Barker who was a yoga teacher she said the message that flows throughout is undeniably helpful compassion flexible persistence movement and practice and there's a couple of quotes that stood out for me and in the book too and there's one that really resonated with me you said we interact with the world through our bodies and we aren't separate from the world around us and i think so often as humans we lose sight of that mind body connection and also that we are connected to the world around us so Anne, when when i often when i talk to people in at work in groups or in coaching and we talk about the body people often say to me oh i don't really pay much attention to my body it's kind of like they almost describe it as living well they don't almost they do describe it as living it from the neck up they're kind of ignoring their body wonder what advice you'd give them yeah i'd, I'd agree um a lot of us do that to varying degrees i would say the advice for that is a lot of that comes down to awareness that we're doing it and that the mind can modulate the body and the body can modulate the mind we have what's called top down and bottom up regulation which I talk about in the book um, and although they can be split one becomes the other and they all interrelate and actually through awareness is how we're going to change it so that nurture the body through the movement or through knowing that we're holding excess tension because we're stressed and feeling anxious and how those things go together and actually how by modulating mm. the body we can change a level of the anxiety or the stress or the secondary suffering that's associated with pain like the frustration and the guilt and the self-criticism and also on the other side we can modulate the self-criticism and frustration and anxiety with compassion focused therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy, although the aim is not to necessarily modulate those things, it's that willingness to be there in a compassionate way, that will also modulate the tension in the body usually. So we need to work with both essentially with a compassionate awareness. And I love the way you explain that. And I've got a new word for my lexicon now, modulation. I never talk about that in training, but I really like the way you describe that connection. Everything is connected really, I guess. I think that can be quite revelatory for people. And it certainly made me think when I was reading that part of the book. Folks, folks, I just want to give you a sort of insight into the book. It, it's laid out beautifully in terms of chapters. It talks about the mind, body and the brain. It's got useful frameworks and models. It talks about stress, compassion, sleep. I know sleep is a major thing for lots of people, particularly at the moment talks about exercise and movement change and interacting with life. There's obviously a lot of thought gone into the, the structure and the journey you take the reader on, and I think it works really well. And I just wanted to finish with a quote from the book before we discuss it any further. And I spoke already about the, the beauty of what you share and what you role model for us as well as, as the reader and as you as our facilitator. And you say, I am now fitter and stronger than I was 15 years ago, even though I still live with persistent pain. It has taken a lot of hard work and needs work to maintain, as living well does for all of us. When it's enjoyable and the meaning is known, it becomes part of life and not a chore. And I thought that really felt enormously powerful. So, so thank you. Thank you for writing the book. 
rather than me banging on about it, I wonder how you'd introduce the book to our listeners, Anne. I had a little think about this. I had a thought of how you could summarise it in a few sentences. And I would say that the book is something that aims to empower people to find balance if they're struggling with things like pain, to explore what's helpful and take an integrative approach to nurturing their health and well-being. If someone's not struggling and is wanting to find ways to look after themselves, to understand more about living well, the book is equally helpful. And it does help people through covering different aspects of health and well-being, weaving them together throughout the book and encouraging exploration through the experiential exercises, which you, you mentioned. So that would be my sort of shorter version of introducing the book. Thank you. And I'm just conscious that a lot of people will be working in different locations now, maybe on their dining room table or their their kitchen chair or lying on a bed even. I don't know. Many of us are working in environments that aren't ergonomically designed for the human body. Are there any top tips you could give us in terms of how we approach this, this working in different contexts? Oh, now there could be lots of parts to this. Um, I'm going to do my best to to, uh, summarise it. So ergonomically, there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong way to sit. It's what's most comfortable and it's also what we've got used to. So it's also what we associate with it. So if we think we've got to sit a certain way to prevent pain or look after our backs, then there's going to be an element of threat associated with sitting a different way. We become sensitive to sitting certain ways and also sitting is tied in with our beliefs like I just mentioned briefly is if we believe we've got to sit a certain way because that will protect our back then there's an element of threat which will likely result in some discomfort and pain. So I think it's understanding that there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong way to sit, it's what's comfortable and it's moving regularly. If we're repetitively working in a posture that's not comfortable, then we are going to have some pain and discomfort from it and probably some stress. Flip side is that stress of working in a different environment, maybe internet not working very well, maybe there's children running around in the background, maybe there's all sorts of distractions going on, that's going to affect our comfort as well um, I know for me I do a phone clinic one day a week and I've got to sit to stand desk so that I can vary that posture I'm on a, in a different environment because I've moved in with a relative temporarily I had to play about what's going to work and I'm actually just sat on a really old wooden dining chair with a cushion under my bottom and a cushion behind my back because it makes the height okay and no, it's not an adjustable chair, but it is comfortable. And then you can put the, the desk up. So I think it's what's what's right for you, noticing what beliefs you have and are they evidence-based beliefs and building tolerance. My tolerance to standing was really static standing, was really low at the start of the pandemic. My static standing position has improved a lot and I don't get the same level of back uh, stiffness pain from it because my tolerance has built up because you have that ability to stand up for 20 minutes and sit down whereas now I can do whatever length of time is okay so I guess the takeaways of that is what are your beliefs around it what are you so your awareness what's happening what's going on in body and mind when you are in those different contexts move regularly and just play about with it 
Thank you, Anne. And it makes me think, actually, that I love the way you describe the, the stories we might have about how we need to sit. Because if we're listening to our bodies, we'll kind of know with some practice of checking in with our bodies, we all know what's comfortable for us. I'd never thought of it like that. Yeah, and I think there's a, a great graphic that always comes to mind about how children sit. And there's a must be about 20 pictures on this graphic. And there's a child laying across a chair and standing on a chair, sitting, you know, back to front, all sorts of things. And it, it is about what is okay for us because the evidence doesn't say we have to sit a certain way there's no evidence that sitting a certain way causes any damage to our spines because our spines are strong and actually it's what's comfortable lovely and I'm intrigued I haven't tried a standing desk but I must have searched for it recently because over the last week or so I just keep getting loads of adverts for hey get this standing desk or get this adjustable thing that goes on top of your desk and you can have it at any height so that might be worth exploring. It sounds like it might be. I think I have to say that mine's been indispensable. Yeah, you only have to search for something once and you suddenly get all these adverts popping up, don't you? But yeah, I would say that you can get the really expensive built-in ones or you can just get one like I've got that goes on top of the desk. And yeah, I, mm. I wouldn't be without that. So oh, that's, that's good to know from an expert. Thank you. I'll probably investigate further. And there's a question popping into my head, Anne. And it wasn't one I planned, but I wonder if I could share it with you and see what you think. Because I'm thinking we work in, and many of us work in environments in organizations where there's many different people. Some of those people will be experiencing chronic pain. And as humans, we're not very good at asking each other about, hey, what's that like? So you might know someone has chronic pain, but you might think, oh, I can't ask them. And that would be too intrusive but I wonder if you've got any advice for us I'm fortunate that I don't experience chronic pain but is there any way you'd recommend that I could talk to a colleague about it who who was that would depend on the person I think on mm. where they are with their persistent pain and how they're relating to themselves and in relation to that so there's a lot of judgment uh, around pain there's a lot of misconceptions so people living with pain because it's invisible and they look okay they don't feel understood so they often will answer or depending where they are in the journey they'll answer with oh, i'm okay but they won't say because that part of the human mind is natural for us to judge because that's what we do it's mm. part of our our wiring and they will be judging themselves with the self-critical voice quite often and then they feel they're being more judged so I guess my advice would be compassionate listening. So being fully present, like you've said, really wanting to understand um, and somehow expressing that to them, that you really do care, that you are listening and that intent to listen, mm. to understand rather than to reply. But it does really depend on their experiences with people understanding or not in their journey. And that will include healthcare professionals friends, family, colleagues. You're absolutely right. It depends on the individual. But what you did there, I love what you did, is, is bringing it back to listening and a stance of compassion. I think if we use that as a foundation, I think it serves as a really useful starting point. Now, and there's something else, a, a golden thread throughout the book was compassion. You talked about, in our first part, 
what it meant when you read that book by Paul Gilbert. I'm just wondering why compassion is so important for you. If you could just talk us through that. I guess from my experiences of living with pain and working with the people that I work with who have not felt fully heard, who have been made to feel judged in a negative way, whether that was intentional or not, probably not. I guess if I take it right back to childhood, we were always taught to be mindful of how the people were feeling, to listen to them and to understand. So there was always a grounding in that and a, you know, a wanting to help others. And then over the years of things that have happened, I guess, is, is how I've been met and the difference when the compassion is there and there's a level of compassion that is innate within us which we we know from an evolutionary perspective and how that's nurtured through our life and that particularly in childhood will make a difference in adulthood if it's not nurtured in childhood it can still be nurtured in adulthood and we still need to nurture it regardless so I guess that importance has started in childhood and then been enhanced throughout uh, my experiences I think that listening and that compassion is, is so important in everything we do and like you say it is a foundation that makes such a big difference to people and the amount of people I see that have had hope taken away because there wasn't compassion and there wasn't listening and the language used wasn't helpful I guess that's why it's so important because of the massive effect the massive difference that it has and actually by really compassionately listening to somebody and being present and really showing that care you can absolutely change the trajectory of what's going on beautiful and i think that's really encapsulated in the book as well and it's early days on the book and but any any news on how it's being received any feedback and reviews well, there was your review earlier, which was lovely. Thank you. Ruth Barber, who wrote the review, uh, she's read the book to write the review. She's got a paper copy now. She said it's, it's absolutely amazing in the paper copy. And she was flicking through it. And the poems were inspiring her yoga classes. And she did a free one on Thursday, which is on a Facebook group. Um, and she read my poem at the end of it, which had inspired her in a smile class and that was absolutely lovely because it really was a compassionate warming connected class so so that was lovely feedback it's inspiring yoga classes <laughs> so someone else said great book when I asked how they were doing with it so that was sort of succinct I guess and someone else that flicked through said that it was laid out really well and they loved the images so that's as much feedback as I I have right now I have two hopes I guess for the book is that it's enjoyed and it's helpful well I certainly did both I enjoyed it and I found it enormously helpful and peace supers I'll make sure I put links to Anne's website and your social media and as well as compassion being a golden thread through the book there are other key concepts which you've helpfully set out into I don't know I think I'd describe them as a, a, a framework could you talk to us about those frameworks please yeah the um, frameworks of the paces and sims they didn't exist before a certain point in the book I started to notice common themes that were coming up common concepts and I thought this what can I do with this how can I create something that's that's helpful and a reference point and I tried to work out some acronyms which I did with the first letter of each word 
and they're all interwoven and interlinked. The diagram actually didn't exist for the Paces and Sims, it was a table until Neil Pearson, who's a fellow physio and yoga therapist in Canada, he read it and he, he said it would be really great if there was an image for this. I had a flash of inspiration, I doodled an image and the gra uh, graphic designer did a great job of digitalising it so it is a helpful reference that people can pick one or two bits from and focus on them rather than trying to focus on every word. And it is a great graphic. So I could I could look at that and I could think I'm going to work on compassion and maybe awareness and they would be my focuses from that framework for that point. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want those two together. So you might focus on one um, like play or you might focus on two together like compassion and awareness. You want a compassionate awareness. So yeah, you can pick one, you can pick two, and, and they are all interlinked. It's what would be helpful for you right now, and I would say it's always going to involve compassion. You might want to always work with that, or you might want to just focus on, on one thing. I do have a little bit of a bias towards compassion. <laughs> I think it shows, and it's something you should be proud of, Anne. Thank you. That graphic is great, and I love the way you can dip in and think, what would serve me most usefully right now? I wonder if there's a takeaway you could offer the P-Supers to perhaps give them a, a top tip on something that might be useful for them, an attitude or a stance or something like that. There's two top tips. Is One's a little bit of a summary of something that's important to remember. And then there's something that I hope the book nurtures, which is actually a quote in the book towards the end. So... I would like people to remember that there is no fixing that's needed. Sometimes we need healing and that's a different thing. And it's important to remember that everything is interconnected and with a compassionate awareness, exploration, practice and flexible persistence, we can show up in the most helpful way to best serve ourselves and others. So that's the thing I'd like people to remember. And then a quote from the book that I hope it helps nurture is, Love, compassion and connection help us create a meaningful and flexible dance through life. We can change the speed and moves from moment to moment in a flexible and compassionate way to help us keep turning towards our values and what's most meaningful to help others and ourselves live well. Beautiful. That's, that's lovely. Boom. And I wanted to say thank you so much for joining me on People Soup. It's been a joy to hear you talk about your work, how it's evolved. And congratulations once again for, for writing Dancing Through Life, a guide to living well. Thank you, Ross. And thank you for asking me to do this. It's been a privilege talking to you. Peace Soupers, that's it in the bag. I'd like to thank Anne for being so thoughtful, open and compassionate and for writing the book. Dancing Through Life, A Guide to Living Well. If you like this episode of the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioural science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes for this episode are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few different platforms. I'd love to hear from you and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com on Twitter, we are at PeopleSoupPod. On Instagram, we are at People.Soup. And on Facebook, we are at PeopleSoupPod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals. And to you for listening. 
Look after yourselves, peace supers, and bye for now. No, thank you. It's been lovely to actually see you as a, rather than having a phone call. Oh, thank you. And you take care. Cheerio now. Bye-bye.